Welcome to Nerd Critic, a podcast about movies you can watch alone at home from the dual perspective of critical nerdiness. I am your resident nerd, CJ. And I am your studied and credentialed critic, Jordan. Today, I'm not going to tell anyone what we're talking about. I am once again going to let one of our listeners tell us what we're going to talk about today. So, uh, this is from a listener named Rachel Reyes, and uh, I'm going to let her take it away. Hello, Nerd Critic. My name is Rachel Reyes, and I am a big fan of the show. I've been listening for, I think, over a year now, and really appreciate what you guys have to say about movies. I really appreciate your passion for movies. Um, I think oftentimes when we listen to um, people talk about movies, we tend to either get like the the super fans who just like to talk about movies, but they don't really know a whole lot about the movie making process and what all goes into story development and plot and set design and all that kind of stuff. Or we get the movie critics who have the education, but you kind of get the feeling listening to them that they they kind of have forgotten how to enjoy movies in the process. I'm not trying to trash on anyone. Both have their merits, but I really appreciate that you guys have been able to join both those worlds where you're entertaining to listen to. You share a lot of really good information about the filmmaking process and about what makes a good movie, while also clearly being people who love movies. I also want to give you a huge thank you for continuing your podcast through all this coronavirus stuff. I know it's got to be a challenge, but for me, it really helps my life to feel a little more normal to be able to have things continue on that I had in my life before all of this. My request for this week was that you cover the Star Trek movies because Star Trek was a big part of my life growing up. Uh, My dad introduced me to it. It was the first thing I ever really wanted to binge watch. And so when the new movies came out, I felt like they did a really good job of keeping that character dynamic while then also modernizing the movies, bringing them kind of up to speed to what a modern audience would want to see. One of the elements to that movie that really I loved and it hit a really personal chord in my life was seeing Spock, his journey through having to figure out the balance of being as they say in the movie, A Child of Two Worlds. When this movie came out, I had just recently gotten married and my husband is from Mexico. And so we we come from very different cultures, not just from American Mexican, but you know, just from how his experiences growing up in America as a Mexican and and everything. And so the joining of our two worlds really was a big deal at this time watching somebody on screen go through that especially you know knowing that we would have kids someday and that they would be children of two worlds and that we would have to kind of help them navigate that and figure that out so anyways it just really hit a good chord for me and I look forward to seeing what you guys have to say about it and to everything else that you have coming up thanks so much 
Okay. Uh, first of all, so many nice things. Yeah, Thank I you kinda, for all of the nice things. I'm I kind of tuned out after uh, after all the compliments ended. I was just, <laughs> just kind of stuck of, on those. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you could. I mean, you could have kept going. <laughs> yeah, I can think of a um, few more, but I guess that's fine or whatever. <laughs> no, I I honestly, it's just well, you. I really hope that our listeners don't feel like they have to shower us with compliments when no they... no please send in an audio and try and one-up rachel please <laughs> yeah see if you if you can, can see if you can do better <laughs> uh which is uh, a secret easter egg quote from the movie we're about to cover um so we're covering star trek and um i really i i love that rachel points out the um the theme that this movie does so well at exploring through the character of spock or Zachary Quinto's Spock of this person who is of two worlds. Um, and that is, you know, I, I recognize how that must be a, a fairly close to home hitting theme for Rachel being married to a person from a different country. Um, but uh, also, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think everybody, everybody has at least some of that, um, that kind of dynamic in their lives. Like we all, we all inhabit multiple spheres of, of society, multiple spheres of community. And, um, and, and, and to the degree that those communities are at odds with each other, you start to, you start to really feel that tension. And so, you know, in more extreme cases, you know, it could be, uh, you know, you're, you are an American woman married to a Mexican man, but in maybe a more subtle case, you are, let's say, and I'm, you know, not, not coming from personal experience here, uh, a religious person, uh, in, in a, you know, working in a secular environment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so this is something that, that, uh, that I think everybody can relate to at least on some level. And so I'm excited to kind of explore how this movie approaches, um, those, that dynamic. Um, but first CJ, we should give a brief introduction uh, of the the metadata, so to speak, of this movie. In other words, who directed it? Who wrote it? Who's in it? Um, do you uh, remember who directed this movie, CJ? Um, yeah, he's like a little indie director called, um, I think it's J.J. Abrams. I'm not sure. <laughs> so yes. few people have heard of him. Yeah, yeah, very, very little-known director J.J. Abrams. I feel like um, I feel like I've made that joke on this podcast before, so I just probably. want to apologize think... to everybody. <laughs> Every time we talk about Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg, J.J. Yeah. Abrams, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's embarrassing. Um, anyway, it was written by it wasn't written by J.J. Abrams, which may be a, a point of confusion. It was actually written by Ro- Roberto Orci and uh, Alex Kurtzman, who. Um, have often worked with J.J. Abrams in the past on things like Alias, Mission Impossible Three. Um, uh, so these are this is a this is a team that knows each other fairly well. So there's a good, there, the, you know, there's the a bad robot that, team, if you will. Yeah, the bad robot, the bad robot team. Perfect. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, and it's it's J.J. Uh, Abrams has written things, has written other things more on his own. Um, but in this case, he is working with, I believe a very strong writing team. Um, so that's, that's, that, that, that's going to be fun to talk about. Okay. So the cast, uh, this is just, I was like you CJ, I'm sure when you, when you were kind of prepping for this movie, going through and just realizing 
like remembering how insane this cast is. I mean, so we have <laughs> number 13, 12 is Winona Ryder. Like, <laughs> yeah, Winona Ryder is that far down the list. That's how crazy <laughs> N- it is. NBD, no, Winona Ryder. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Chris Pine as Captain Kirk, we've got Zachary Quinto as Spock, we have Leonard Nimoy reprising his role as Spock. Uh, spoiler alert, um, Eric Bana. Uh, plays the big bad Nero, um, and we have uh, Bruce Greenwood, who I love playing Captain Pike. He's not he's he's not an A lister, but he's a just a fantastic character actor. And I think actually this might be my f- one of my favorite roles that he's ever been in. Um, it, he's, he's just he's wonderful. He's definitely a face in Hollywood. He's one of those guys that yeah. you never know his name, but he's in everything. Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, I love yeah. that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we've got Carl Urban, who uh, you know. <laughs> Carl Urban. Anyway, uh, then we've got Zoe Saldana, who uh, we most recently uh, talked about how amazing she is in our in our revisiting of Avengers. Um, and then we have good old Simon Pegg as Scotty, which is amazing. Uh, John Cho as Sulu. Uh, Anton Yelkin, may he rest in peace, as yeah. Chekhov. That actually does legitimately break my heart. He's yeah. just such a wonderful little dude, um, yeah. and he is now gone. Um, and then we have one on a writer <laughs> and then, oh yeah, <laughs> you, you made this joke before we started recording. What was your joke, CJ? Uh, this movie has baby Thor in it, <laughs> baby Thor, <laughs> <laughs> which of course he's not a baby, but he's just, he just definitely is really young. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, there you go. Um, he's uh he's playing he's playing uh well we'll get to it um before we spoil this movie um i think we should give a very brief primer on star trek and i say very brief and i mean very brief in fact i put in the notes i put two varies next to each other divided by a comma um (laughs) because because i don't know that much about star trek i think i know more about star trek than a lot of people but not as much about Star Trek as actual Star Trek fans. Yeah, so That's... there's there's like there's the very very brief Star Trek primer, but then there's also the very very brief like primer of you and I because like we a lot of people would expect that I as a nerd and it's actually Rachel called me out on it. Um, she said she has a hard time calling me a nerd because we haven't done an episode on Star Trek. One of the reasons <laughs> we haven't done an episode on Star Trek is because I as a nerd. Am really in no way am I a Trekkie. I don't know what it is about Star Wars and Star Trek, but I haven't really, really, really fallen in love with either one. That being said, this specific movie, I have watched, it is on repeat. It's one of my wife's favorite movies, so it's on repeat, so I've seen it a ton of times. But that's a bit misguiding because I don't really know that much outside of this movie, which I realize is offensive to a lot of the Trekkers out there. But I'm just letting yeah. you know where I'm at. That's fine. That's fine. Um, so I'm definitely here. Here's my my brief history with Star Trek, and which which I will use as the primer because I think my my history with Star Trek will will is the best I can do at a primer, which is that I watched I watched all of the movies growing up. So you know the original Star Trek movie, and then there are there are actually six movies. Um, in, uh, I should say there are six movies with the original cast, um, or the original cast of the original series of Star Trek. Um, and then there's another movie, uh, I think called Star Trek Generations that I came out when I was a kid, 
that combines the casts, which was pretty fun, uh, of of the original series with Captain Kirk, and then the next generation with Captain Picard. I'm on thin ice here too, by the way. I'm like, there's a, <laughs> you're at going any out moment, as about as far as you can. Yeah, at any through. well, the problem is my memory here because at any moment I could I could try to reference something and and entirely forget the name. Like I'm impressed <laughs> with myself for remembering the name of the seventh Star Trek movie, which was Generations. <laughs> Um, there was, I think, oh, I think that the movie that came after that was Star Trek Nemesis. I think. No, I think it was First Contact. Anyway, there was a couple more with, uh, Captain Picard as the hero. Um, and, and so there, there was a lot of, there were, there were about, I, maybe I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say there were about nine Star Trek movies, um, all the way from the, I think, 70s or 80s, all the way through, uh, early 2000s 90s i don't remember anyway point is there were a lot of movies um most of which had the original cast and then there were a lot of a lot of series a lot of star trek series there was the original series which actually i think only has like three seasons or something it was like very very small um it got canceled and restarted because it was it was trying to do things that were way outside of the box for the time, um, which was really, really great. This is one of the reasons there's a lot of diehard Trekkies is because um, the original series was very uh, forward-thinking politically. Um, it, it cared a lot about science, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Um, and uh, and it was, you know, it was a really fresh and original and inventive thing. Um, also, very low budget and very, you know, I mean, it was made in the 60s. <laughs> so, like, it's a very, uh, you know, it was a product of its time. So, let's say. Anyway, um, but it spawned just an insane number of TV shows and movies. And just, I mean, it's it really has never stopped, really. Um, but there was at one point, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here. There was at one point uh, a recognition by the people who owned the Star Trek IP that it was a dying IP. That the the people who really cared about Star Trek enough to show up and continue giving their dollars to the franchise's existence were aging out. Um, they were getting older. They were not caring as much. They were dying probably because once again, this is a series that came out in the '60s. So, uh, you know, it wasn't the best. It wasn't in the best condition. And so, hey, we are in the age of reboots. Let's reboot Star Trek. So they called in J.J. Abrams because he was already a heavy hitter in the genre. Um, he was himself probably um, very much a Star Trek fan because he is a fanboy, probably first and foremost, J.J. Abrams is. Um, it's the same reason they brought him in to do uh, The Force Awakens. Um, and <laughs> which, anyway, it's a very interesting dynamic J.J. Uh, Abrams holds in the uh, world. Anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, but back in 2009, he was the man. He was the man who they brought in to, to reboot Star Trek. And so what we have in the Star Trek movie, and this is going to get a little bit spoilery. So if you haven't seen Star Trek and you really care about nothing getting spoiled ever, then maybe go ahead and just stop listening now because I'm not going to try. I mean, I feel like everybody's seen this movie at this point, so I don't want to like, I don't want to, you know, tenderfoot around anyway. So, uh, he messes with the timeline, you know, he says, here's this time warping event that happens that essentially lets everything that's happened before be what happened before. And then all the movies that, that come after this movie can be their own thing, can be their own story, which is, you know, it was clever. What did you think about that choice, CJ? 
Um, I mean, I what what you what JJ Abrams was given was the impossible task, which he's been given multiple times, to try and make every single nerd happy. <laughs> uh, and so seeing that that was his task and understanding that, uh, I think that it was actually a pretty, uh, a pretty clever choice. I think that it worked relatively well. Yeah. Well, and, and the great thing about it is that no matter what happens to these movies, everything in the Star Trek universe that, that, that the, 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 the Star Trek fans, you know, um, the, the fan base that I'm sure grows and contracts, uh, I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't keep track of the Star Trek fan base. I don't know what it's doing. I don't know how healthy it is or how unhealthy it is. I do know that the CBS All Access is making, or still making original Star Trek series, uh, like premium series, the yeah. most recent of which is called Picard, which I actually really want to see, but I haven't seen any of it yet. Um, I watched the most recent one, which I actually can't remember remember the name of. Uh, but uh, Jason Isaacs what played the one of the main characters uh, slash surprise villain in it. And uh, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> although I feel like it's not really a spoiler because if you've ever seen Jason Isaacs in anything, you yeah. know that he's like the he's... good guy who ends up being the bad guy, <laughs> or um, just the so, bad guy, or just the he's bad always guy, yes. the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. I really liked that series in some ways. I thought it, it was uh, a little bit weak in others, but uh, but in general, they're they're just they're still trying hard to make um, good, relevant Star Trek content that is apart from this series of movies that has you know that started off really strong, and then you know we've had a couple of sequels which were maybe good and maybe not so good, and who knows? Anyway, but. But anyway, the point is, it was clever to let the, the be its own branch timeline, so that whatever happens to it, it doesn't necessarily disrupt the Anything thing that everyone yeah. holds sacred in the star in the Star Trek universe. And yeah. I'm frankly not one of those people. So I will say this: when I left the theater, um, the back in 2009, I remember. Do you remember where you were when you saw this movie? Um, was that was it was it that significant for you? Um I I do remember where I was. I don't know if it was because it was significant. Um Okay. Uh I mean it was it was it came out the year I graduated high school. Uh and oh, okay. so yeah, so like that whole year, you know, it's a big deal. Uh, but I, yeah, I, lots I was of big deal things happening. Yeah, yeah. So I was at the theater uh, with my dad, um, and if I recall correctly, like the majority of our experiences together, I enjoyed it, but he did not. <laughs> I was with a group of friends. It was 2009. I was in my film school heyday, um, and uh, and I loved, I loved it. I loved it. I was, I walked, I left the theater. Saying like you know I can't I can't remember the exact people that I was with, uh, but I remember turning to the people I was with and saying, "This is the Star Wars. This is the Star Wars. <laughs> this is the Star Trek movie I've always wanted to see." Hmm. Um, because I had gone, you know, I had seen all, all, pretty much all of the movies, just sort of by osmosis almost you know i had seen a few episodes here and there growing up my mom was a big fan of star trek when it was originally out when she was a kid she didn't really keep up with it but like she you know remembered being a child and loving you know the original team and captain kirk and you know she was a big fan and so it would be on in our house every once in a while i was familiar with it and then i'd seen all the movies over the years not not many times but i'd seen them and so you know but i was never a big fan i was like it also it always seemed like something that could be really really 
really awesome, but ended up being kind of lame. And that, like, that was the, that was my overall impression of Star Trek for, like, most of my life. And then 2009, as a uh, 24-year-old young adult, I walked out of the theater thinking, this is my Star Trek movie. This is the Star Trek movie that I've always wanted to see. Um, and that, so it was, it was, it left a, a really big impression. I saw it in the Megaplex at Jordan Commons in Utah, which it turns out is apparently one of the best attended theaters in the country. I don't know oh, if you knew wow. that, CJ. I did not know yeah. that. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's a great theater. I've been there. Yeah. It's a fantastic um, theater. It used to be my favorite. Yeah. I, uh, so th- this, I'm actually really happy and actually really surprised to hear that it had that impact on you. The way that you phrased it, I'm going to guess that you're going to say that there that you're going to kind of take back some of that love, but I'm going to latch onto it right now uh, because I even still, I know that this movie has some issues, but like it's, in, it's incredibly rewatchable and. Oh no, I, I I'm not going to take any of it back. It oh, okay, is a, great. It's a really wonderful movie. I, I love Star Trek. I have, I've continued to love it. I've seen it a bunch of times since the, that first time in the theater. And I think I saw it several times in the theater. I'm yeah, no, no, oh, good. no real good, hesitation. Good. I, it, right. it does have, it has like a couple of weaknesses, but like overall it's a really solid movie. Yeah. I mean, I really like, uh, I, I really, again, I really have no attachment to the, uh, to the, the old the actors or franchise or the old characters, but like I really fell in love with these characters. Like from yeah. from you know Chris Prine, who is just oozing charm no matter what he does, but definitely as Captain Kirk, and then Bones, and then like the strong uh, the strong willed uh, uh, Zoe Zaldana. What's her character's name? Uhura. Uh, yeah, Uhura, and uh, and then Spock, and like specifically because it. Yes, uh, Kirk is kind of is the main character, but like it really is this more this one specifically really is a uh, a focused a zoomed in focused uh, relationship between uh, Spock and Kirk. Like that's kind of the big that's the big thing in this movie is their their relationship and them learning uh, that they need each other. And so I really became really quite invested and I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed the journey that they went on. Um, all of the set pieces and the action and how unique it was. And like, it felt like it took something that was really campy and then it brought it to the modern day in a really shiny and fun way. Yeah, totally agreed. Agreed. Um, so Let's talk for a moment, if you're okay with this, CJ, I'm kind of springing this on you. I would like to talk for just a moment about things that J.J. Abrams um, are good at. Okay. So, first of all, he's really good at setups. He's really good at, like, cold opens and setups. And, like, first acts in general, but especially cold opens. And, in particular, can we talk about the cold open of this movie, which... I cry every time. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I mean this is uh it was like I can really think of only one other movie that had the this level of action within the first couple of minutes. Like it just shows up and it hits hard and it's like this big huge action set piece and then they just punch you in the emotional gut with like just a horrible situation but like makes perfect sense somehow with you being in the world for only like five minutes it's really impressive 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like that. It had such a huge impact on me that I, um, that the opening, the opening, um, song, the opening score, um, theme I have listened to. It's, it's like that one track from the soundtrack is on, uh, like a most listened to playlist for me, like in just life. I love it because it reminds me of that, that just incredibly, energized opening (laughs) with like huge emotional impact right off the bat and really glorious action sequence uh, sets up all the right pieces i mean it really gives it is such an insanely good cold open it's hard it's hard to overstate it's hard to overstate how effective it is um and that is something jj abrams is really really good at and then the the whole first act it it doesn't it doesn't let down after that right we get we get this incredible introduction to captain kirk as a kid and then he's suddenly you know he's he's going into you know school and blah 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 anyway all this stuff is happening it, it the, the the setups are fa- are fantastic the relationship setups are fantastic anyway so that brings me to the next point casting casting jj abrams is an amazing director for casting um, and this is one of the reasons he's been so successful. I know we've brought this up before. I know we've talked about it before on this podcast. But like, here is th- this movie. If you if you only could have one movie to provide a perfect example of how great J.J. Abrams is at casting, look at this movie. Yeah. Not only does it manage to um, get, do a good service to 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 replacing all those iconic actors who filled those roles in previous in the previous iteration of this story but also each of those characters each of those actors is in their own right excellent excellent absolutely and and, and just so it's this it's this perfect alchemy of of finding the right kind of face and also the caliber of actor which is in like i feel like that's almost impossible to do so the fact that you know i so i give i give jj abrams credit for this but it's it's perhaps possible that he works with the same casting director um on all of his movies but the but the theme is common throughout his movies is that his casting is always so on point and uh, yeah, I don't know. in anywhere else is it is it as strongly apparent as in this I movie? Mean, if you if you really think about um, like like you go through and you're like, yeah, Chris Pine, great. You know, Zoe Zeldana also is going to be fantastic. You know, anytime you do Winona Ryder or Chris Hemsworth, but then like you go to some of the side characters, right? You got Sulu. You're like, oh yeah, wow, he's fantastic. Uh, and then you got like Spock's dad and it's like, oh man, yeah, like there was a side character, but it was really, it was really good. And then Spock freaking Zachary Quinto is fantastic. It's like every single even side character I think about in this movie, because the list is huge, right? There's so many characters. Yeah. Every yep. single one I give actual pause to. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So that's just you know major major props and then the next thing i wanted to talk about was is is dialogue because in every single one of jj abrams movies the dialogue is so good it's just it's fast it's smart it's rewatchable um and it's it's great character revelation and and um plot exposition wrapped up in cleverness and fun always and it's just it's i it's always a pleasure to watch his characters talk to each other. It's just a great, it, he's so good. He's so good with dialogue. And I, I, you know, earlier I talked about how, you know, he's part of this writing team. So, you know, obviously 
J.J. Abrams isn't the one who's writing this movie, but the fact that like he his team, I should say, I should say, bad robot movies, <laughs> all like one of the hallmarks of a bad robot movie is great dialogue. Um, so it's it, a it's a credit to Abrams for pulling it off as a director yeah. to make to make sure that those that that all the dialogue works so well because it always does it always lands it, there's it, very there's no deadlines it always it always does and uh he seems they seem specifically great at uh creating the uh you know the the captain kirk character the the poe dameron yeah. the witty charming like the dialogue really lends itself to that kind of character so you really fall in love with that kind of character very quickly um, and I think a lot of it has to do, yes, with performance and charisma and all of that, but also the witty dialogue and how it's handled in the, in, in the movie, in the context of the movie. Yep. Um, which is part, part of the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is pacing. And this, I think this might be, um, if, if JJ Abrams has a superpower, I think this might be it. Um, you know, we had a lot, we, we, well, we, we went easy on it. We didn't, uh. We were actually some some people took us to the mat for not um, going a little bit a little bit stronger on uh, in our in our criticism of the most recent Star Wars movie, um, and you know, but we we you know we didn't we just weren't really in the mood to <laughs> go super negative. There were a I lot mean, of I couldn't do that were, to you. You had just seen a, the movie. Yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of big problems. Um, at one point, it would probably be appropriate to do a retrospective um and see if we can you know see if i can be a little more uh objective and and really you know call call the movie out for all the problems um but uh and you know I, i've talked about how sad it was but the, one of the amazing things about that movie is that if you were if you don't go into it with all the sort of natural expectations of a star wars fan either old or new star wars fan and you're just watching it as a movie um you it's you're gonna have a good time because as bad as it is it is paced excellently (laughs) so this brings me to my point which is to say that if jj abrams has a superpower it is pacing he is so good at getting the rhythm right so that when you're watching it you never leave you're never checked out. You're never looking at your phone. You're never wishing you had something else to eat in front of you. You are just uh, you're going to be you're going to be entertained. You're going to be invested. You're going to be dialed in because he's got the rhythm right, and that is um, that is amazing. I've I, I've seen very few filmmakers as as consistently good at keeping the pace just right so that you don't get lost emotionally. As you're watching the thing or energy wise, it's not even like an necessarily an emotional investment. It's just the energy of the movie. So you don't feel tired out and you don't feel lethargic and you don't feel fidgety. You just are with it. It's yeah. in sync. It's really amazing. Um, I, I like you said, I think the Star Wars movies that he did uh, illustrate that well. Also, Cloverfield and Super 8 both, which would have been oh, yeah. very difficult to pace well. Um, yes. Like Cloverfield, especially like. That you could have checked out of that movie real easily, but he keeps you engaged the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I was just thinking about specific examples from this movie. It's, it's, um, it's being able to um, put us in one scene of action to the next. So I, I, for some reason, the scene that that comes back that comes to mind often when I'm thinking about the pacing of this movie is the the sequence in which, um, <laughs> in which Captain Kirk 
winds up getting kicked off of the Enterprise by Spock. <laughs> Do you, you remember this moment? So, Absolutely. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's it's an amazing it's a ama- it's an amazing scene of dialogue and personal conflict, um, and we and it ramps up into it. So it's it is its own climax of a sequence that that concludes there. So it concludes with Spock and um, you know with with Spock and Kirk almost physically fighting each other. They're 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 fighting each other on the bridge of the you know Enterprise, and then Spock literally kicks him off of the ship. Um, and and then the next scene is he you know we see him crash land onto this planet and he gets and he climbs out of this pod and then we have this and this is this is the this is the the, the magic of it so getting this paced wrong would exhaust you because you just finished watching an emotionally impactful scene where things exploded he gets kicked off and then we see um he we see uh Cap- we see Kirk like climbing out of his you know this this vessel this escape pod and uh and 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 he and then he gets hunted by this giant beast in the snow but before that happens we have enough we have enough time for him to kind of settle in that moment he gives us room to breathe so we're like oh now i'm on this frozen wasteland it is a literal palate cleanser from the last scene that we were in so Mm. so you know you, you you unpack all of that tension you let it all fizzle out and then you ramp it back up to him running away from this snow monster, and then uh, and then that rides him right into his collision with uh, old Spock or Spock Prime, um, yeah. played reprised by Leonard Nimoy. And then in that scene, we get once again it's the it's the let the let let the tension settle, and that's the perfect moment for exposition because our blood's high. We're paying close attention. We just saw you know we just we, there, there a lot's coming at us at once. So then we get this scene of dialogue which not much happens in for a few moments because they're just talking but you don't mind because you need time to breathe anyway and then before it gets too boring we get uh we get a mind meld thing so we can visually see what what spock is talking about and again we get this the grand big visuals so it's figuring out which thing to put after which thing so that you're never you're never bored and you're never worn out and that is so hard to do. Mm. And it just, the whole movie, the whole movie runs that way. It's incredible. I, I, uh, and I, this is probably credit to him. I never consciously realized that. I, no, you don't. Which you, don't you should. I had to, right? I had to, I have to think hard about it when I leave. I have to like yeah. think, how did that, why did that work so well? And then you go back and you start unpacking and it. it. And it's one of the reasons that, uh, that it's so, such a rewatchable movie is is the fact that there's it doesn't like expel a whole lot of energy to watch it. It's just you're kind of on a ride and you just go on the ride rather than like working through the emotion and through the action and really concentrating. It's it's just a it's a whole different experience when it's paced well. Uh I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Yeah. It's 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 pretty great. So let's talk about characters, which is another one of the thing I mean if you're talking about good, good casting, um, that naturally leads into well, you 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 better have good characters. <laughs> so he's working from a, a cast of a very well-known personalities, or, or I should say, fictional characters, but then bringing them up and making them relevant and feel feel modern and feel um, in, you know worthy of investment um, in 2009 versus 1960, 1970, 1980. 
um, is is quite a feat. And so, um, and I think this is a good opportunity for us to maybe talk about Spock's character yeah. in particular. Um, so, <clears throat> finding out about or looking at looking at Kirk. Kirk is, you know, Chris Pine's character is, is a pretty. I, I won't say, you know, it's a fairly straightforward protagonist. You know, he's the he's the guy that needs to be humbled. You know, he's always rushing headfirst into things. Full he's of potential. People. Yeah, full of potential, but needs to be, you know. And and really, though, the, the central conflict of the story is the relationship between Kirk and Spock. You know, yeah. they need to become best friends. And so we see Kirk's hot-headedness and we see Spock's um, cool pride. Um, and so let's talk about Spock because he definitely is the more interesting character of these two. What are your impressions of uh, of Spock in this movie? Well, kind of going back to what Rachel brought up and the in the the idea that he is a creature stuck between two lands or two ideals, and it's it's really highlighted in uh, in. Uh, in the kind of logical intellectual approach uh, that Vulcans have, uh, and so and because it's like the idea that that uh, uh, humans' emotions are get in the way is not necessarily a new idea, but the the fact that you kind of put it up against the entirely logical Vulcan that it, that makes it interesting because it's a difference. It's a uh, it's an outward choice, right? Like you can see when the human side of him is winning and when the Vulcan side of him is winning. And uh, they actually use that as a story element, that that internal conflict. And and Spock, obviously, he do, it's kind of two. It's kind of a two parter, right? He hates that he gives into emotion, but then he hates when people hate that he gives into emotion or like that he's judged for, or that he, he hates that he thinks he's weaker because he gives into emotion and he hates when others think that he thinks that he's weaker. And that's what makes it so interesting is that both he gets upset at the Vulcans for judging him. And then he gets upset at himself for allowing the human part of him to break out. And yeah, and Chris Pine or uh, Captain Kirk is in like entirely emotion, right? He's just gut yeah. feelings <laughs> and bang, 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 go, go, go. And, uh, and so Spock has to figure out, he has to understand that, uh, he, that, that human side, that gut feeling is not a bad thing. And it can, can be a good thing if it's balanced correctly. So it's not that he is the worst part of both societies. It's that he contains the best part of both societies, but he first has to figure that out and it's highlighted yeah. to him in Kirk. Uh, and so it's his journey. And I think that, I think that Zachary Quinto, uh, I knew him as Siler in heroes <laughs> uh, and that was it. Yeah. And so I didn't really know what he was capable of, but I think, he, I think again, casting, I think he was impeccable as Spock. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love what you're, what we're referring to his, his, um, his, the, the resentment he feels toward himself for being too human. Um, this is such a, this is such an interesting dynamic because we see how, how complex that conflict is. You know, if you're if you grow up in a society that does not like he, I mean, he grew up in a in a, in a uh, pretty much entirely he grew up on Vulcan, right? He grew up among Vulcans, and he was judged according to Vulcan standards. Um, and yet, his mother 
the you know arguably the most the single most influential person in 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 anyone's life was human so and that's a very deliberate choice and so to 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 be able to to portray that depth of conflict where your whole society that you grew up in and that you were raised in has a certain set of standards for what a person should be what a vulcan should be and then your mother is the opposite of that or not the opposite but but the the diametric opposition the the alternative the human element and that and that Vulcans never really had that much respect for humans <laughs> because because by Vulcan standards humans are, you know are sort of walking balls of chaos and so um and so there was so much judgment and so much you know it, it was this you know so his his and his uh his response to that is to become very, very hardened. And you see this fantastic, I mean, it's in that, once again, going back to pacing to show like his life story in such a quick series of scenes, you know, you know, growing up and as a, as a, as a kid, like in that weird school with those, you know, big dishes in the floor anyway. And like being, (laughs) being quote unquote bullied by like annoying Vulcan kids who, you know, (laughs) prepared insults. Yeah. Um, And then, and then and you know whatever we see all that and then and then you know it it fast forwards to that moment when he graduates and he's offered a position you know despite his his being part human or whatever they're like you know you've done well considering and he's like and then he gets offended and he says you know so essentially what he's doing is he's crafting for himself this impervious personality he is like i'm better than everybody i have to be i have to be the best i have to be better than everybody because he's terrified of his of his of what he perceives as his um uh his vulnerability this uh this inescapable weakness of being half human and so he constructs this sort of ironclad like forceful exterior of being the best and totally immune to any kind of criticism because he is going to be the best. And what Captain Kirk does is he comes in here with a sledgehammer and starts knocking at him to crack it open. <laughs> and he's not doing it deliberately. It's just because of who he is, which is why these char- these characters are so well-suited to each other. Um, because you see the, the that Kirk's very presence is is finding the chinks in in the armor that Spock has constructed around himself to protect himself from the dangerous duality that he's so terrified of internally. And I love one of the mo- moments that I love the most uh, of the revealing Spock's character is when um, Kirk is talking to older Spock, Spock Prime, and he's saying, like, what, what am I supposed to do? He's, I mean, he's, he's like, he, he doesn't feel anything. And, and <laughs> I don't remember exactly what he says, but then the older Spock says, what are you talking about? Like, of, of course I, I feel everything. And like my world just got destroyed. I am totally emotionally compromised right now. You just have to show it. <laughs> and so he goes, and so when he gets back onto the ship, he winds up, you know, egging Spock on to, to reveal, to finally crack that thing wide open and make Spock become, or like, you know, you know, what happens when your armor gets broken off, you go crazy. And so it's this it's it's this perfect dynamic, and and that that is then of, of course what allows Spock to then reconcile those two parts of himself, and realize through the, really through Kirk's friendship ultimately that um, that there is that there is a 
possible synergy between these two things that they don't have to be in this deep inner conflict that he's so terrified of. Um, and so by the end, he becomes, you know, a much more actualized version of himself. And of course, that's externalized by his ability to work with Kirk in a way that allows them to then, of course, you know, win <laughs> yeah, and defeat the big bad. I, th- there's also this element to Spark that, that to Spock that is, um, it's kind it's kind of like, like I can talk trash on my brothers all the time, right? Like I can, I can come to you and I can be like, oh my gosh, my brothers are so annoying because of A, B, and C, right? And you're like, yeah, totally. But then the second that you come to me and you're like, hey, your brothers are so annoying because of A, B, and C, I go, whoa, hey, hey, you can't say that. Only I can say that, right? It's like the yeah. the way that we have that relationship with our families is kind of like what Spock has within himself where um, <laughs> where he has like this this uh i don't i don't want to be human human like it's so difficult not to be human humans are really emotional i don't like it and then the moment that somebody like tells him that his that he's a bad person because he's human it's almost like he's like whoa 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 only i can say that and so he has <laughs> yep. like he has this internal conflict of like he is not sure if being human is good or bad. He's been told over and over and over and over and over and over and over that it's bad. But for some reason that comes into conflict with himself because one, he doesn't feel bad. And two, the one person that he knows that is human is the most wonderful thing in his life. So his mother, yeah. Yeah, so it comes into conflict with him like, like I've been told it's not good to be human, but the only human that I know is good, right? And then he, and then he gets introduced to, uh, introduced to Kirk, right? And he's like, he's like, oh, is Kirk kind of personifies all of the things that I've been told are bad about humans? It, it Kirk, Kirk represents uh, the 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 version of humanity that Spock is most terrified of within himself. Yes, and so he is confronted with it right then and there and so this entire movie is like about spock understanding that even the worst side of like even even this chaotic person of kirk of humanity this chaotic version of the humanity that spock has somewhere within him is great is the potential in there is huge. The leadership, the whatever this gut feeling is, it's that he has to find merit in that. And when he accepts Kurt as his friend, he accepts that merit is also within himself and he can finally be at peace. Absolutely. Like for being a sci-fi Star Trek movie, it's really quite sophisticated. Yeah, no, it is. It's a it's a really it's a really good story. And then it's interesting that Eric Bana playing Nero. Nero is the character that sort of represents the um, the other extreme, right? It's the it's the extreme of 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 uh, of your letting your emotions run total chaos, so that everything is you know he's the sort of version of Kirk, where Kirk doesn't have the tempering influence of Spock, you know, so uh, where it becomes all about revenge and uh, and and resentment and you know it's this it's total being totally dominated by your feelings and being totally reactive to to them um you know having you know in his own mind nero having this great justification for destroying everybody uh because because of his own pain 
Um, and you see the sort of seeds of that within uh, within Kirk. You know, he's he's feeling vengeful, <laughs> um, and it's only because of the the influence of his of his uh, peers um, and his friends that he winds up being you know able to to be a, a more a wiser and more a better developed leader. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a, so it's a really great uh, juxtaposition of personalities and and archetypes of characters. Um, and I, yeah, I, I really, I really love it, man. We haven't talked about so many things in this movie. There are so many things that we haven't talked about and that we won't be able to because we're running out of time. Um, but it's, I like, I will like want to go back and rewatch it. So full disclosure, I've seen this movie like half a dozen times, at least I have not seen it with like, I haven't seen it. I didn't have the opportunity to watch it right before we recorded this episode. So it's been like a little while since I've seen it, and I'm like dying now. I'm like, I gotta go watch this movie again. <laughs> well, it's so fun. It's it, so good. You know, it might it might be worth uh, doing an episode where, uh, almost where we highlight this one versus the next two, um, mm, because yeah. because the next two, uh, like like as we as you talked about pacing, the third one is kind of its own thing, but because it wasn't a J.J. Abrams movie, but the second one. Um, does well on pacing and like it, it does feel like you're just taken for a ride, but for some reason it lacks some of the attributes that this movie has that make it so good. And yeah. uh, to talk about those, I think would be really interesting. So maybe we save some of the conversation about this th- to, to, to talk about the second one, whenever that may be, because this, this movie, like I, I as a relatively trained, eye. I'm watching this first movie and I'm like, this is a whole lot of fun. And then I watch the second movie and I'm like, this is less fun, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm not entirely sure why. So to have a conversation yeah. about it would at least be valuable to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's, there's would certainly be a lot to talk about there. That could be, that could be pretty interesting. So, but for now, I think we need to wrap it up. Um, thank you, Rachel for uh, a great request. I'm really happy that uh, you sent that in. I'm really happy to have had the opportunity to, to to dive in. This is a fun movie to talk about. Fun movie to watch. Fun movie to talk about. That's that's, that's, that's like the whole reason we do this show. So, thank you. Uh, indeed. It was... Uh, I... For for movies that are less intellectual and more just the enjoyment of cinema are so fun to highlight. Uh, so thank you. Anybody else who has a movie that you want us to talk about, uh, join Ayaka and Rachel and uh, record yourself talking about it and then send it to us. And uh, we'll hopefully dive in and be able to talk, dissect it and talk about it a little bit more. We really do enjoy it. Enjoy it. You don't have to compliment us as much as Rachel did, though. You're welcome to. <laughs> we certainly won't discourage you. Um, and with that, uh, I think we're we're ready to we're ready to wrap up this Friday. Uh, please join us for. The Vast of Night, which you can watch on Amazon Prime if you have a subscription, which it seems bizarre that you wouldn't. Um, anyway, so that movie is what we're going to be talking about on Friday. Uh, I'm really excited, um, and I think that's it. CJ, do you want to do you want to send us off? I do. Uh, I do that by thanking Michael Bond Miller for the wonderful outro music, and uh, please, everybody, remember to collect movies like a nerd and rewatch them like a critic. And cut.